Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. right. Do you not like when I do that? What do I like when you don't do what? Like I'm trying to lip sync to your voice because you just start laughing usually at the end. Yeah, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much anything that you do, I find annoying. That's fair. Anyway, Zach, why don't you tell me about what recently I've been playing? What have you recently been playing? Thanks for for asking. I'm keeping all of this in so you can't trick people. I'll, I'll edit it before you release it. I'll get my scissors and I'll cut the tape. Because we actually just record each other on cassettes. <laughs> yeah, we, well, no, we record it on film. Then, <laughs> which is very weird because film does not record audio. So I don't know how that happens. Yeah. But then we, uh, we transpose it over to magnetic tape. And then we edit it using DVDs. Yeah, we, we do this in the same room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, thanks for asking, though. Recently, I've been playing Ori and the Blind Forest, the definitive edition, uh, which was developed by Moon Studios and published by Xbox and was originally released back in 2016. It tells the tale of a young orphan destined for heroics and is a very visually stunning game and is an action platformer where you play as Ori. At the beginning, is really sad. It is just like a very, very sad beginning, and it yeah. made me very upset, but it, it's it's sad. I really got it so that I can play it on my Steam Deck because I, I feel like it fits right in with my like collection of Steam Deck type games like Hades, Hollow Knight, and now Ori in the Blind Forest. Uh, I think they're all very like games that are fun to play on the Steam Deck versus on my computer. But I was having a good time playing it on the computer, which is where I played it last. But yeah, so I'm excited. I hear it's got a really good story and I'm kind of excited just to play just a game. I'm kind of still in that post Baldur's Gate type of uh fog where i'm just trying to figure out what i want to play that's not Baldur's gate because i i played a lot of that game and i need to not go back and play it for a little while but the adventures of didn't end will uh will, will come back um zach yes seth what are what's the episode about today no <laughs> that's not how that works Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Seth, recently I've been uh, playing a bit of Warcraft 2000 Nuclear Epidemic. Uh, Sadly, I've only been able to play a bit of the game because after I got it to work in PCEM, it immediately stopped working the next time I tried to play it. For those who don't know, PCEM is something we've talked about. We mentioned it a few episodes ago, but it's a tool that you can use to emulate hardware of an old computer. So you can emulate things like the computer's processor and motherboard and graphics card. And then you can do something like install Windows. 98 to this computer and play old games if you want or use legacy software. Warcraft 2000 Nuclear Epidemic came out in 1998 so I thought it would be perfect to play on a Windows 98 computer and sure enough I got it to run for a bit and then suddenly it just stopped loading anytime I tried to reload it and I would have to force close the game and uh, restart the computer which was annoying. So I'm going to play around with it maybe I can get it to work again but it did work for a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's a bizarre game. It was originally developed by GSC Game World and we talked talked about it actually in our GSE Game World slash Stalker episode where we talked about their history and the development of Warcraft 2000. It's not a mod of Warcraft 2, which I was initially thought it was. When I first learned about Warcraft 2000, before we did the episode on GSE Game World, I was convinced this was just a very clever mod of Warcraft 2. Nope. 
It's an entirely new game built from the ground up that features higher resolutions, larger maps, unit limits of up to 8,000, and the ability to select more than nine units at once. In fact, there does not seem to be a cap on how many units you can select at once. So if you have a map of 8,000 units on your team, you can select all 8,000 of them and send them to your enemy, who also might have 8,000 units on their team. The game actually did run pretty well when I was able to get it to run. One problem though that I had with the game was the fact that the entire thing is in Russian. So I had to hold up my phone with the translator going and try to figure out how to navigate to a place that I could actually launch a uh, level. I finally did so and I played a bit of one of the levels where I played as orcs and I built up a little base and I think I was just about to create a thing to spawn UFOs because you can bring UFOs into the game uh, when I had a, a little system crash. But it's an odd little game. There's a couple of things that it did that I thought was unique. For one thing, when I spawned into the game, I couldn't figure out where the gold mine was. I was like, it's a little odd. I'm surrounded by trees and rocks, but I can't find the gold mine. Turns out you mine the rocks to get gold. Just like in life. Yeah, just like in life. So your characters will mine the rocks to get gold and the sound they make to mine rocks is very loud. <laughs> it's like louder than any of the other sounds in the game. And as I alluded to, yes, you can build things to summon UFOs. You can also build nuclear silos to launch nukes at your enemy as Warcraft should have always had from the very beginning. I'm going to play around and try to get it to work again. I have no idea why I was able to get it to work and then immediately it crashed. I've tried everything from changing graphical settings on my PC EM, changing like the color settings from like 16 bit to 256 colors, all the things that you had to do back in the day to get something going. Uh, my next trick is I'm going to see if I can change the language settings, possibly setting it to Russian and seeing if I can launch the game that way. And maybe that might work. And my fourth option is I might try to do a build of a slightly lower spec computer and launch it that way using like Windows 95 or something. I don't know yet. I'm playing around with it. I'm going to see what I can do. A fun fact, I there's a YouTube video of someone playing the game and they have a bunch of videos up of it playing. Um, and I believe they are Ukrainian because a lot of the text and stuff that they post is in like Cyrillic. But I reached out to them because I was like, hey, how do you get this game to work on modern computers? And they said to me, just does. And I said, okay, <laughs> but it doesn't run a mine. So I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like I tried to launch it using Windows 11 and it just doesn't launch. So what? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just something I'm not figuring out. In any case, though, I played a little bit of Warcraft 2000 Nuclear Epidemic. Hopefully I'll play a little bit more again later. Now, to get us into today's topic, we're talking about a game slash series that is very memorable to Seth and I. Uh, it's a game that we had as children, and it's actually the reason, and Seth can correct me, but it's the whole reason that we were a Sega family. But I think Seth went to a family friend's house and played Rocket Knight Adventure and really loved it and told our dad that he wanted a Sega Genesis. Part of that is true. The part of it is that is true is that it is because of Rocket Knight that we became a Genesis family. The story is, from my recollection, being there behind the eyes that witnessed the story. We visited a family friend. I was a child. They were friends of my parents, and but they also had children. They weren't your friends. You, you weren't a child who's just friend with some old people. <laughs> yeah, no. So we showed up and I still have vivid memories of them playing on their, their Sega Genesis and they were playing Rocket Knight. Uh, they're, they're children, not them. They were they were having grown up time with my parents, which I assume was sitting around and complaining about children. Their oldest, he was specifically playing the Sega Genesis and was specifically playing Rocket Knight. And I loved it. I thought it was the 
best thing ever. I was really into medieval arms and armor at the time. I think I still am a little bit still into medieval arms and armor, but uh, it is a, a possum and I like animals and he's dressed in armor and he has a rocket pack and he blasts off. And for me, little Seth, it was a match made in heaven. I don't know if I actually played it because it's a single player game. And I don't know if I was ever given a chance to play the game. I just was really excited about it. And I loved, I think I maybe played a little bit of it. And that Christmas, um, my dad got us a Sega Genesis, but I don't think we ever got Rocket Knight. We didn't have it until later. When somebody gave up their Sega Genesis games, which was post the time that our parents were buying games for us. So my dad saw that I loved the game and went and got our dad, who's listening to this episode, saw that I liked the game, went and got the Sega Genesis, and then never got me that game. <laughs> which I could see happening because um it's not like there was a really good internet back then so he would a be like what was that game system oh sega genesis go to the store buy the sega genesis and then be like what game were they playing and the problem with that day and age is that the cover art and the game didn't necessarily mean the same thing so like to be honest for my dad he saw something blue on the screen Maybe he was like, oh, it was probably just the Sonic game. So I was very excited to, I think we eventually got the Rocket Knight game, as we mentioned. I was very excited to play it. It's actually pretty tough. I've gotten, I've, I have to this day, I've done a lot of different replays of Rocket Knight because I really enjoy it. And there's something nostalgic about that first level to, for me. It's just great. Just booting it up, having that that music, the intro music. Going back, I've so I've done a bunch of the replays. I have gotten to the, I think, second to the last level. I think there's eight levels in total. And I think I got to the seventh level. It's a tough game. It is a very tough game. And um, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. I uh, it's, it's got such a great soundtrack. And uh I really like uh, animals and armor. Why I also like the Red Wall series of books. Rocket Knight has this like very memorable opening to me. When you boot up Rocket Knight for the first time, when you put that cartridge in, you turn it on, you get the, you know, produced under license by Sega Enterprises, you get the Sega logo, and then you get the Konami logo. And then it goes dark. Sparkster shoots by on his rocket. Um, you get the, the logo, Rocket Knight Adventures, you press start, and then... It fades to black, it fades up, and you have them standing on this rock pillar facing you as it, like, starts to 3D turn around to face his back as he pulls his sword out and you get, like, a sound. And then there's this, like, giant menacing figure standing in the distance about to, like, fight you. And then you go right into the intro music. And it's just this epic intro song as you're walking through a field and there's flames in the background and you see like mechs destroying a town. It's just like a crazy cinematic opening for a 16-bit Sega Genesis game, right? They they put in a lot of work into making this game look beautiful. And I think that's one of the reasons why Rocket Knight holds a very special place in my heart as uh, a game that made me realize that the Sega Genesis was very capable. And whenever one of my friends would tell me, oh, you know, the Super Nintendo is so much better 
better. The music was so much better. I would say nonsense because you've never heard Rocket Knight and then I would play Rocket Knight music. To get into the history of Rocket Knight, we've talked about Konami a few times. I don't know if we've ever really talked about them as a company, but they were originally founded in 1969 by Kegemase Kazuki as a jukebox repair and rental company. By the late 1970s, they transitioned to coin-op machines, and then by the 1980s, they'd started to churn out arcade games. Some of their earliest titles included, you know, a little game called Frogger, another game called Yi'ar Kung Fu, Time Pilot, and Track and Field. Through the 1980s, they continued to put out arcade titles and briefly skirted with developing games for the Atari 2600 and MSX home computers. However, in 1985, as the NES began to take hold of the market in the United States, Konami was right along with them, producing games like Metal Gear, Castlevania, and of course, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Their arcade games and home console games did not go unnoticed. In fact, they were making a huge chunk of money from earning about $10 million in earnings in 1987 to upward to $300 million by 1991. So they were doing very well. Konami was a very, very successful company during this time period. And in 1992, they began work on games for the 16-bit consoles that were in the market, Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. At this time, there was also another hot seller on the market, Sonic the Hedgehog, who had his first game released in 1991 to massive sales figures. Konami and other companies saw the success of Sonic the Hedgehog and said to themselves, hey, we want a piece of that action. Now, while Sonic the Hedgehog wasn't the first mascot platformer, he essentially became the trend setter, as everyone wanted to make a character that could rival Sonic. Accolade would go on to re release Bubsy. Iguana would develop Arrow the Acrobat. Irim would go develop Rocky Rodent. And Tenjin would give us awesome possum kicks. Dr. Machino's butt. People wanted to make the next Sonic, and Konami was no different with their game, their game Rocket Knight. And also... At the same time, we had Mario going on in Nintendo. So, like, there was definitely a presence of... Right. But in all fairness, Mario is very different than what people were trying to go through with Arrow the Acrobat, Bubsy, and Awesome Possum and Rocket Knight. There was this idea that you needed to have a fun, cool, hip animal. Mario is all of those Mario, things. So, no. So, well, yeah. <laughs> so, Mario, <laughs> Mario was already a mascot. And Sonic was obviously made to rival Mario. Right. And Sonic introduced something new, which is Sonic is fast, Sonic is cool, Sonic is hip, Sonic is young and rocking it, and Sonic is also not an old Italian man. <laughs> so, But you can't say that Mario is not a cool animal, but he's not a, a personified creature. Right. But a lot of these games were quintessentially designed to mimic Sonic, and Rocket Knight Adventures is no different. Right, right, right. Yes, all the mascot platformers that came after Sonic were a lot of fast-paced type of platforming games that were trying to get Sonic money. But in regards to mascots representing companies, um, Mario is in that mix. Oh, yeah, 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 100%. The people over at Konami wanted their mascot to be Sparkster for their game, Rocket Knight Adventures. And it's no coincidence that, to Zach's point, a lot of these characters had trappings of Sonic, especially even their art style was all very type of exaggerated animal with very bright colors. Now, the game was designed by Nobuya Nakazatu with art by 
Yashushi Takano. The first game would release in 1993 for the Sega Genesis, and according to Rocket Knight Wiki, a Wikipedia dedicated to Rocket Knight, which is only four games, so it's a very, very comprehensive Wikipedia, apparently. Now, according to that wiki, uh, a port was planned for the SNES, but it would not be released. Don't worry, Sparkster will eventually get to the SNES, just not at first. The game has some very memorable music, as we talked about. The opening song for the first level is incredibly catchy and is probably one of the best songs on the Genesis, as evident by my ability to hum it many years after originally hearing it. There's a portion of my brain that is that has like, there's like a door that's in my brain and you open it and it's just the Rocket Knight opening intro music and that it just lives there. And it is, it is one of the oldest tenants of my brain. The music itself was composed by Masanoro Uichi, Akihara, and Michirio Yamani. And then there's a Masanori Adachi and uh, Hiroshi Kobayashi. Some listeners uh, may be familiar with Akihara's work on the anime Azumanga Daio and Mishiru Yamane's work on Castlevania Bloodlines and Symphony of the Night. Now, two sequels would go on to be released in the following year, both called Sparkster to drive home that the character's name is not Rocket Knight, and both of them are kind of different, which will uh, Zach will cover, I believe, when he we cover over the gameplay. Now, Rocket Knight Adventures offers a unique twist on the fast-paced platformer concept that it was trying to capitalize on. For one thing, the main character of Sparkster, who is an opossum, isn't actually that fast. Uh, he walks at a gentle pace and has a pretty small jump. However, he is something that Sonic doesn't have, a rocket pack. Sparkster can charge his rocket pack to fire him off in a specific direction or do a spin attack with his sword. He also has a sword, which is a distinct difference that Sonic does not have. (laughs) Yes, he also has a sword that can shoot projectiles. I'm pretty confident in this assessment, and I I will fight this to the grave, but if... Sonic and Rocket Knight sparred off Rocket Knight could beat Sonic. However, because Rocket Knight is a pure of heart, they would become friends. Because if Rocket Knight wanted to, he would kill Sonic very quickly. Oh yeah, because he has a sword. He has a sword. <laughs> he, and a he would jet just pack. stab Sonic. He would literally just fly his jetpack into Sonic's gut and kill him. But he wouldn't do that because he's pure in heart. He's like the he's like I was gonna say he's like the Lancelot of mascots, but Lancelot was kind of a dick. So he was like, she was like, this like the Galahad of mascots. Most of the gameplay is centered around this style. Uh, levels were designed to allow Sparkster to rocket up to high locations, and a few stages do have the ability for Sparkster to fly nonstop using his sword's energy as a projectile, turning it into kind of a scrolling shooter. Uh, these sequences are always fun. You usually have to fight these like big bosses that are like, like in one is like this big snake boss. The story of the first game follows Sparkster's quest to save Princess Sherry from his rival Axel Gear. The game begins with the land of Zephyrus being invaded by a tribe of pigs who are part of the Devotonitis Empire. As you get to the castle, the princess is captured and you must go off to save her. The sequels kind of follow similar storyline. They like go off of the story with additional quests that you go on in order to defeat the big bad. The gameplay changes up though in the sequel. Sparkster Rocket Knight Adventures 2 came out for the Sega Genesis in September of 1994. One major difference in Sparkster for the Genesis is that your rocket pack automatically recharges. Also, your sword no longer shoots projectiles. This change does make the gameplay quite 
different, as Sparkster now is more reliant on the jump pack for his attacks, as using the sword can be tough due to its short reach. The automatic rocket pack charging does also make the game kind of interesting to play as it becomes a bit more faster paced than the first game, but also in my opinion, it can lead to some frustration as you can accidentally fire off the rocket pack when you don't intend to and thus launch yourself in a place you don't need to be. However, you can do consecutive boosts, which are great. So you can shoot off your rocket pack. If you charge enough boost, you can shoot off another blast. You could do kind of a double boost. The SNES game, also called Sparkster, which also came out in September of 1994, changes the gameplay back to the original style. Uh, so instead of an automatic charging rocket pack, you now have to manually charge your rocket pack. Also, your sword can now shoot projectiles again. Uh, this may make the game feel more similar to the first, but it also just feels a little bit off when you go from playing the first game to then the sequel in the Genesis to then this third game for the SNES. Alternatively, if you went from playing the first game on the Sega Genesis to playing the Super Nintendo game, I also would say it feels a little bit off because the gameplay just isn't as tight, in my opinion, as that original Sega Genesis version. So Sparkster for the SNES has kind of a slower pace to it, even with the rocket boost. And while Sparkster for the Genesis has a quicker pace, you do get kind of used to it. So if you play all three games and you decide to play Rocket Knight, Sparkster for the Genesis, then Sparkster for the SNES. Going from that fast pace to the slow pace again can be pretty off-putting. Arguably though, Sparkster for the SNES does kind of feel closer to what a sequel to the first game would actually feel like, just due to the fact that it does keep the gameplay style pretty consistent. So how did the game do? Well, I would say it did perfect. It captured the one person it needed to capture in this world, and that was me. Uh, hats off to you, Konami. And 1010 uh, across the board. Though, on release, Rocket Knight Adventures was positively reviewed by publications like EGM, who gave the game a 40 out of 50 and would reward the game the Editor's Gold Choice Award. The publication Computer and Video Games gave the game an 88%, I'm assuming out of 100. Games Master uh, gave the game a 92%, and the publication Game ranked the game at 16.5 out of 20. All relatively pretty good scores. Sparkster for the Sega Genesis would receive some positive reviews on release, with EGM giving the game a 7.2 out of 10, but saying that the changed gameplay mechanic took some getting used to. Listen, EGM, if we didn't change things, it would be boring, but if we change things, it takes some getting used to. So cut your crap and give a better review. That's what I have to say to EGM. <laughs> they gave it a 7 out of 10. That's not terrible. It's not like they 7. failed 2. it. 7.2 out yeah, of 10. Yeah, yeah, EGM's weird. They do the weird point system. The publication GamePro criticized some of the later parts of the game, but ultimately said that the game was a good progression from the original. Thank you. The publication All Game would go on to give the game a 4.5 out of 5 and said, you won't be disappointed. And I know. Thank you. Sparkster for the SNES also scored positively, but Game Pro would criticize the overall, overall lack of improvement from the first game. EGM gave the game an 8.2 out of 10, and Power Unlimited gave the game a 76%. It would go on to receive the Best Sound Effects Award in 1994 by EGM, and also made it to the top 100 list of Best SNES Games from IGN at number 87, and Top SNES Games from the magazine total with an exclamation point coming in at number 74. I mean, just placing in the top 100 for best SNES games is pretty good because there is a lot of SNES games. Now, in terms of its legacy, Sparkster as a character left the world of video games briefly when he appeared in a short-lived comic storyline as part of Sonic the Comic Magazine from Fleetway. Where he killed Sonic. 
<laughs> stabbed him right in the gut while it was called sonic the comic it had storylines that were not part of the sonic world it had like a shinobi story um it had a golden axe one so there was That's a sparkster cool. one a second story was intended to be published in a later issue but fleetway was not able to obtain the rights for the character so they had to drop the storyline which makes me wonder if they got the rights to publish it the first time but you know what i'm sure fleetway didn't care oopsie daisy rocket knight has also appeared in other games such as a cameo appearance in new international track and field for the nintendo ds which also has pyramid head from silent hill so you can have the matchup of the century of pyramid head and sparkster going toe to toe in some international track and field that's wild so they can do like the long jump yeah oh yeah does uh does pyramid head like use his head to long jump? <laughs> i don't know but i hope so sparkster has also appeared in crazy kart racing for ios gambari goemon 2 for the super nintendo snatcher for the sega cd and and some other Konami titles. A fourth game would release in 2010 as just Rocket Knight by Climax Group. This game uses the auto-generating rocket jump ability that was seen in the Genesis version of Sparkster, but remove the ability to do consecutive boosts. Sparkster can also now hover, and he can shoot a short-range projectile, which is useful when you're hovering. This new game scored moderately good reviews, though some criticize the difficulty. I have Rocket Knight from 2010, and Seth has it too. I don't remember anything about this game, besides that the music was okay. Uh, there's like a remix of the original Sega Genesis, like da 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 in the opening. Not as good as the Genesis version. The Genesis version does it the best. But um, yeah, it's okay. I don't remember hating the game. I don't know if I played through all of it. Sparkster will, however, be coming back this year, 2024. It was recently announced that the three original Rocket Knight games would be coming to modern consoles, with a physical release being done by Limited Run Games. This collection will be called Rocket Knight Adventures Resparked. Rocket Knight is a great game. Sparkster is a great character. It's kind of unfortunate that there's only really three games with him and then this the, the new one in 2010. I am excited to see the collection come out. I will probably be picking it up because while I have a copy of Rocket Knight Adventures and I also have played Sparkster uh, for the SNES and the Genesis says it's pretty easily able to be emulated. I don't own copies of those games and those games are very expensive. <laughs> Sparkster for the SNES and the Genesis. Uh, right now, if you want to get a copy of Sparkster for the Sega Genesis loose, it's going to set you back $100. For a CIB copy, it will set you back $325. For Sparkster for the Super Nintendo, if you want a loose copy, it will set you back $155. A CIB copy of Sparkster for the Super Nintendo will set you back $745. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta play games any way you can. Having this new release though coming out for modern consoles will be a great way to re-experience these games, so I look forward to picking it up. Now, that will do it with our Sparkster slash Rocket Knight episode. A great game and the reason that Seth and I became Sega kids. That's right. Because Sega does what Nintendo don't. That's right. Now, to get us, speaking of Nintendo doing bad things, uh, to get into our retro rewind, Seth had me play Family Dog for the Super Nintendo based on the cartoon of the same name. Uh, the game was created by Malibu in 1993. I don't remember Family Dog the show, and I wish I didn't remember Family Dog the game. It was bad. Uh, one of the worst Super Nintendo games I have ever played, and I played Lester the Unlikely. You play as a dog who walks around the house. Uh, your a, a only ability to defend yourself is your bark, which you have a limited amount of. You could only bark 
a certain number of times. When you jump, you either go very high or not very high at all, and you almost always miss the place you're trying to jump to. When you land on platforms, sometimes you just slide right off. Uh, also, when you walk forward, uh, sometimes your character, this dog, will just suddenly stop walking normally and start sniffing and go very slowly and it's very obnoxious and I don't know what triggers it. I don't know if it's like a hint that I'm supposed to be doing something. It was just weird and it happens right when you start the game so I was like this is very very weird um, and I couldn't really figure out what exactly it meant and I tried to like click around and it didn't do any good. I don't like Family Dog. I think it's a bad game and uh, Seth told me in confidence that the only reason he gave it to me is because he found it on a list of bad games. I don't think Family Dog holds up. I think it's uh, a bad game and I don't think anyone should ever play it ever again. <laughs> Next week, Seth, I want you to play Contra Force for the NES. I know that you... I told you my secret about that I pulled it from a bad uh, list of bad games, so hopefully you don't look up the game I'm about to give you before you play this <laughs> for this week. But anyway, Zach had me play Ah Real Monsters for the SNES, which is based on the animated series with the same name. In the game, you play as Ickis, Oblina, or Crumb. Well, you technically play and, but, or, right? So they're all, three of them are being played at the same time. However, you can only primarily control one. So they, you play as this group, but um, you could select one. Now, they need to pass the monsters midterm by going and making sure they scare the right number of people because that's because they're monsters, you see. That's why the game is called Ah Real Monsters. You could switch between the three characters and each does something different. Uh, now, if you've never seen Ah Real Monsters, that is a, a tragedy because it's a great cartoon. Ickis is a little red gremlin creature with giant ears. Oblina is a cane that is like got like black and white swirls. She looks like a upside down uh candy cane. Yeah, yeah. And then Crumb is a man, but he's if a man <laughs> if a man <laughs> was only a mouth and his hands held his eyeballs and he had feet attached to his face mouth you know what crumb kind of looks like a ball sack crumb is most decidedly a ball sack with feet hands and <laughs> yeah. eyes and it was back in the day when people just drew things for cartoons and it was okay because the kids didn't get it now they each do something different the reason why you play with three uh Ickes can fly for a short period of time with his flappy ears oblina can reach high ledges because she can extend herself and crumb can scan off-screen areas because he just throws his eyeball and then you control his eyeball and you can see where like where you may need to go or where there's maybe a, a seek like a hidden thing because it's like a platformer i love this game but for nostalgic reasons if you have no connections to the show it is just a mediocre platformer uh, i think it holds up in regards to the art style but if you don't know anything about our real monsters i don't necessarily know if you need this game in your life um i think the vikings there's a vikings game where there's like three vikings or two vikings that you can control which is the lost vikings which you had me play i think that's a better platformer or at least puzzle platformer. Anyway, Zach, next week you can play Rap Jam for the SNES. Man, I'm looking forward to that game. I sure hope the company that made Rap Jam uh, produced more than two games. Me too. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening to our episode. If you want to be able to follow us and learn more about our episodes and when they come out, you can always follow us on our social media. We are on uh, Twitch, Facebook, and Instagram 
at Classic Gaming Brothers and Twitter at CG Brothers Pod, as well as Blue Sky at CG Brothers Pod. Uh, you can also you can find our show wherever you listen to your podcast apps. Uh, feel free to give us a good rating if you are in there and you want to help support the show. Ratings go a long way. You can also tell three of your friends uh, because if you tell three friends, then you probably enjoy the show. If you tell more, you probably don't. So that's kind of the way that you want. Uh, also, if you wanted to reach out to us, talk to us, have a conversation with us, recommend a game that we, you want us to talk about, recommend an episode, give us anything that you want to do, write us a poem, you can do so by sending us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. Uh, if we get enough questions, maybe we'll read them out loud instead of just the order from our producer that looks like it's just that he wants beans. Anyway, Zach, am I missing anything? The one thing you are forgetting, Seth, is uh, don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right.